Well, today I'm going to talk to you. I was going to talk to you about something else actually, but I've postponed it till after the summit. So I've had a last minute change of subject. And um, I'll tell you what that is in just a minute. But a few weeks ago, my dad was preaching and he was talking about forgiveness. And uh, I don't think he specifically said that there were six reasons to forgive. And I don't think there are only six reasons to forgive. But I, I was noting things he was saying and I realized, oh, he, he mentioned six things. And so I think there's more than six, but these were the six that he said, you know, six very compelling reasons why you would want to forgive someone. Because, you know, number one, if you don't forgive, it hinders your prayers. No one wants to waste their time with prayer. Like, you want your prayers to be meaningful, powerful. Well, forgive. It unleashes, if you, if you carry unforgiveness, it unleashes demonic oppression against you. You know, you struggle within yourself. The devil oppresses you if you carry unforgiveness. Not only against you, but your, your bad attitudes unleash demonic oppression against others, against the people you don't forgive and others. So there's three. Number four, it poisons your soul. It makes you bitter. That's no good. <laughs> number five, God won't forgive you. That's the worst of them all. And number six, it poisons not only your soul, poisons your body. You know, the stress and the anxiety, it has a physical effect upon you. So look, there you go, it hinders your prayers. You become demonically oppressed. Through you, the devil attacks other people, poisons your soul, poisons your body, and God won't forgive you. Wow, unforgiveness must be just about the nastiest thing there is going around, right? Once you see that list, you think, man, that is terrible. <laughs> and it occurred to me as well, when you won't forgive someone, you're kind of tying your personal happiness to someone else's actions. Think about that for a minute. You want to be happy, right? But do you want to make your happiness depend upon someone that you can't control and someone that you might not even like very much? You wouldn't want to do that, right? When we first moved to Australia, uh, you know, I was just a kid, we were living in Papua New Guinea, and we encountered this thing called football. Now, we never, uh, football was a thing in Papua New Guinea, they played football games. In fact, football games, in hindsight, may have been way more interesting in Papua New Guinea than here because there was a tribal component to it and the two teams that would turn up. Um, I remember we went to a football game as little children and at five minutes before the end of the game, we got packed up and bundled and left. Anyway, apparently, I'm assuming in hindsight, there was a reason for that. So. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, football can take on a whole new element in Papua New Guinea, but it really wasn't in my worldview. But when we came back, I can remember in grade four, we were in Australia and State of Origin hit. It was a big, big thing. And I remember in the school, people were going around saying, are you supporting Queensland or New South Wales? And I remember thinking, what State of Origin? Never heard of it. And I concluded I was going to support New South Wales because that's where I was born. State of Origin, you know, be authentic. And. Um, so, and I think New South Wales might have won that year, 1986. Some football aficionado would know. But it didn't take very long to realise that New South Wales were going to lose regularly. And at least 50% of the time, right? In more recent years, it's been nearly 100% of the time. But put that aside, I learned very young, you don't tie your personal happiness to your football team. It's a dumb, dumb idea. 
because if it's state of origin, they're going to lose in a normal year, at least you've got a 50% chance they're going to lose. If the ball will bounce this way, and you know, there goes your happiness. Um, and I'm a Dragon supporter, and they haven't given me any happiness either. <laughs> and uh, so I've learned young, I, I don't base my happiness on how my football team goes, or how my sporting team goes, or who wins the election, or any of these types of things. It, that's just not where happiness comes from, and it's not where you should base your happiness in. So if I'm ever leading up to State of Origin and someone says, ah, New South Wales are going to lose tonight, and I say, oh, maybe, it's quite possible, and I rob all joy out of that other person. <laughs> and, but then if New South Wales actually win, I don't go back to that person and say, ha, ha, ha. I don't do that either, because really what's the point of making our entire joy dependent on something outside of our control? Well, see, that's what you do when you, when you don't forgive people, is you make your, your joy or your happiness in life dependent on external circumstances that you can't control. So there you go, there's a seventh reason that's more of a kind of a psychological one. So there's six good reasons that Dad mentioned, plus I just kind of added a seventh. And I'm sure there are a lot more reasons. But, of course, you could also say Christ tells you to forgive. There's an eighth reason. It's an obedience thing, even beside all the benefits. Someone should make a note of this. Eight reasons to forgive. <laughs> and if Jesus said it, that alone is a good enough reason. And um, Christ, Christ doesn't tell us to forgive because he wants to make our lives miserable. Oh, this is so hard. I wish Jesus didn't say it. No, if anything, he's telling it to you because you'll be free. You'll be released from the actions of others. You can walk in grace. Your prayers will be answered. God can work in your life and in, in the lives of others through you. You'll be healthier. You'll be emotionally better off. The Lord just wants you to be blessed. Isn't that the whole purpose of the Lord? Like the Lord just wants to redeem people and he wants to redeem you. And when he tells you to forgive, he's just trying to help you out <laughs> so it's just doing the, what the Lord says is wonderful in every every way and all of that was the introduction to what I'm about to tell you we're going to go we're going to talk about something that's very similar to unforgiveness but slightly different very similar but slightly different we're going to go to the book of Genesis and we're going to start there with Seven verses, Genesis chapter four, verses one to seven. It's the story of Cain and Abel, but we're not even gonna read the whole thing, just the first seven verses. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So we've got something here going on between these brothers that doesn't quite fit into the forgiveness category, 
because Abel didn't do anything to his brother. But his brother has a but, I, but Cain has a problem with his brother just the same. It's what you'd call resentment. And um, Abel didn't do anything specifically against Cain, but Cain didn't like the fact that his brother was his offering his brother's offering was good enough, but his offering wasn't good enough. So he looked at his brother and he resented him. He resented what happened, and resentment always begins with kind of a feeling in the heart of this is unfair or something like that, but it can live in the heart and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And um, resentment will produce in the end all the same nasty effects as unforgiveness, uh, except technically you don't have anyone to forgive. <laughs> Now, of course, you can resent people that have done the wrong thing to you as well. Resentment can, be, can include all the things that come with unforgiveness. Um, but the person, like in the case of Abel, Abel may not even have known that anything was wrong. We don't know the story. We don't have a great, this is not a very detailed story. We don't know all the interactions that were going on. But there's clearly resentment going on there. Over the years, as a pastor, you talk to people. And you know, people come along, they want help with their problems. And one of the things that you often say is, have you forgiven them? You know, there might be a problem and they might come along and be describing problems in life. And you, you would say, is there anyone you haven't forgiven? Because you're just trying to think even what possible problems there might be that you need to, to resolve. Sometimes even sickness in the body can be a result of unforgiveness. So you might pray for the the help, the healing of the person, but you might also say, is there anyone you haven't forgiven? Um, so it's a question you do ask fairly often when you're a pastor, and it's amazing to me how often people will say, no, there's no one. I've forgiven everyone. <laughs> and yet there's something still off. When they're talking to you, you can tell their attitude isn't a clean one. Like in my mind, I think, when I forgive people, it's, I, I, I feel clean. I feel like I'm washed. I don't have any dirt on me anymore. Like I feel I'm, I'm at one with the world. Even my enemies, I feel like I don't have any grudges against them. I wish them well. I feel like that I don't walk around with any negative attitudes. And, but there's a, it's definitely possible to believe that you've forgiven everyone, but still carry around resentful, resent, re, you know, resentful attitudes in your heart, or to be grumpy, to, to think life isn't fair, you know, no one's done anything to you, and you've forgiven everyone, but life isn't fair, and it, it's not right that it's this way, and, and you, you can have all the same things in your heart that can poison your heart just the same as unforgiveness, and yet you've technically forgiven everyone, and um, I suggest it's the same type of thing at work. I think forgiveness, the, 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 the idea of what forgiveness is can be expanded a little bit to include letting go of your attitudes about unfairness as well. So um, who might you be resenting? <laughs> who knows, but it could be someone else in your workplace that got a promotion and you didn't. It could be someone else that's getting ahead in life, but they're not working as hard as you. It could be someone in your school class that's getting better grades, but you're studying more than they are. 
Or maybe you're just not studying, but you just think you deserve it. Is there anything you think you deserve, but you haven't gotten it? You might be resentful about that. You might think that's not fair. There, there are a lot of situations like this. This happens in, um, in families a lot, in families. And um, I was listening to some Jordan Peterson videos. He's a clinical psychologist, and he talked about people that come to get you know, they have their psych psychological appointments and they discuss their family problems and he says you can trace them all back to resentment. It all begins with something that happened, some resentment, people, you know, just think over that resentment and it grows. And um, he gave an example, he said, you might be out at the shops one day and you, you're with your kids and your kids are behaving badly and you're embarrassed. And he said, for starters, you should be disciplining your children and teaching them so they don't do that. He said, but in any case, you're, you're so embarrassed by your children's behaviour, but you don't do anything about it. He said, then you go home, and later on in the day, your kid wants to crawl up into your lap and cuddle you and show you a toy, but you push them away and you say, I'm too busy right now, I'll, I'll talk to you later. And he said, the resentment in the heart of the adult towards the child, the child doesn't understand it. The child was misbehaving because it wasn't taught to properly behave, but now the child is, is being you know, ignored because of resentment. Now that's a parent that loves their kids. That's just an example he gave, but he says these types of things are in people everywhere. Husbands and wives, someone doesn't treat the other the right way and then later on, they're acting like all's normal but they treat them back you know, in some kind of a, like, I'm not giving you attention, I'm not giving you what you want. All of that is resentment. And it technically might not be unforgiveness, but in a kind of a way, it is. And so these types of things are so sneaky, because they get into us, and you don't know they've gotten into you. So there are people who resent their parents because they feel like they've missed out on things. They look at other people and they say, other children are getting these things, why aren't I? Um, or parents resent their children for various things. Husbands and wives resent each other because it seems like they're the one giving the most to the marriage, but the other one's not giving as much. Um, resentments seem to exist very easily in close relationships, like Cain and Abel, who are brothers. Because it's in the closer relationships that you expect more from other people. And resentment messes up those close relationships. There are examples of, resentment's an interesting thing, like I went looking for it in the Bible, and I did a search for the word resentment, and it, I found like one verse in the entire Bible, and I realised it's a translation thing, because if you change translations, it appears in some, it, it doesn't appear in others. And um, so it's something you've got to kind of dig for, and it, the word, it'll be, some, some ideas will be translated as the word resentment, depending on how the translator is thinking that verse means. But there are definitely examples of it in the Bible. So Cain and Abel, obviously, a very good example, right up front. But what about Joseph and his brothers? The brothers think that Joseph is being treated better by the dad, and he was. He was being treated better by the dad, so they resent him. It's jealousy, but it's resentment as well. And so this grows and fosters, and in the end, it results in this very harmful, destructive behaviour towards their brother, 
No, the one person in the whole story that obviously did not have resentment was who? Joseph. Or at least he didn't in the end. Maybe at some point he struggled with it, but the Bible doesn't tell us he did. He clearly is portrayed as someone that had no resentment. But all, but all the brothers had re resented him highly. And it led to just pain and anguish and problems. What about Jacob had two wives? The wives of all these boys, Rachel and Leah, they resented each other. That whole story of those two wives is a crazy, crazy story. So we're not seeing it so much clearly as a subject that's spoken about, but we're seeing it in the stories and the craziness that it brings to the lives of people. There are lots of examples of it as you just start going through the Bible. You see resentment there messing things up in a big, big way. And um, so it turns out, or at least it seems pretty obvious to me, that the same six things, or let's say the same seven or eight things that, are, that affect people when they don't forgive are at play when people are resentful. I would suggest to you that the Lord Jesus Christ would tell you to let go of any resentment that you have in your heart. Even though there's no specific command from Christ, I would say that when the Lord said to forgive, I would say he meant the type of forgiveness that meant letting go of any bitter feelings. So I would say that the Lord has commanded it because I would say his command to forgive is a much more inclusive command, not a technical one. You know, sometimes people forgive with like a technical forgiveness. I've forgiven them, I've let them off, but they're a bad person. I'm having nothing more to do with them. Well, see, that's forgiving, but you're still resentful. No, forgiving with a big heart. Because <laughs> I tell you what, imagine if the Lord forgave us with a technical forgiveness. Can you imagine Jesus? Imagine he technically forgave us, and we're technically in heaven, but we're with a grumpy God for a million years. Imagine that. Well, see, God's just not grumpy. He's got a big, big heart. He's just not like that. There's no resentment in God's heart at all. I don't think the thing exists. It doesn't exist from God's perspective. He's just a big heart. His forgiveness is a real forgiveness where he, it, it's, he feels good about you. Well, maybe it's a bit hard to feel good about some people, but you can ask the Lord to help and you can let go of your resentment. So these, let's say these eight things. If you don't let go of resentment, you'll be disobeying the Lord. You'll be unhappy because you'll be tying your unhappiness to someone else. It'll hinder your prayers. It'll unleash oppression against you from the devil. It'll unleash demonic attack against others because of you. It'll poison your soul. It'll poison your body. And who knows, maybe the Lord won't forgive you. So that's a nasty, nasty thing. And I really wanted to expand on this because I know Dad was talking about it, because we've restarted the watch and we want to, get, we want to see the power of prayer at work in our lives and in the church and we want our prayers to be very effective. It says in um, James, it says, the prayer of a righteous man, and that's a righteous person, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A righteous person is a person with no resentment in their life. Someone with a clear heart, they know what the Lord wants. They're going to obey the Lord. That's a righteous person. And a person like that, walking with the Lord, has praised powerful prayers. And they're effective. 
And if you want to have a life where you pray powerful prayers, get rid of your bad attitudes. Uh, go beyond the technical forgiveness and go to a wholehearted forgiveness. This is what it says. I've got a couple of verses on this. I'm just going to go through them quickly. In the NIV, I managed to find three verses with the word resentment in them. I'm going to give you one verse about prayer and two verses with resentment in it in the NIV. This is 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, In the same way, husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as, a weak, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So this verse is for husbands, but it's basically saying your bad attitude towards your wife cuts the power right out of your prayers. I would say that while that's a very specific thing here about husbands, I would say that's a true thing for all people. The power just gets cut out of your prayers when you hold attitudes in your heart towards other people. There's a couple of verses here, this one from 2 Timothy 2.24. And um, Paul was writing this to Timothy. It was a personal letter. He said, the Lord's servant, now he was thinking of Timothy as the Lord's servant, you know, someone who's serving the Lord. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I think we got the NIV version there. In the, the web version, which I've got here, it says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. So that's the web version. And um, not resentful. The Lord's servant must not be resentful. And I'd like to say that the Lord's servant is not just the preacher. You're the Lord's servant too. And it tells us here in 2 Timothy, you must not be resentful is not godly. If we go back to the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, um, it's not the book that talks about the oldest things in the Bible, that's the book of Genesis, but the book of Job believed to be the book that was written first. Um, we've got a, a wise statement here from Job himself, Job 5.2, he says, resentment kills the foolish man, jealousy kills the simple. So Job, way back then, he knew that resentment in the heart kills. So, don't want that, <laughs> want to get rid of that as quickly as possible. So, I would suggest to you that there's a few very basic things that we should be doing. You need to let go of resentment. Now, um, this is a choice. Now, you might think about your life and you might say, yeah, there are things in my life, and you'd be aware of some of them right now, you just have to let it go. It's a choice that you have to make the same way that you choose. Now, you might say, but I've been doing A, B, and C for this person, and they're just not treating me back kindly, or they're just not noticing, or well, you need to just say, all right, that's okay. I imagine the Lord is doing so much for us that we, have, we don't even know what the Lord is doing for us. He's doing so many good deeds, kindness following us around all the time. I remember one day I was walking down a road somewhere and I saw a flower on the side of the road and I realised the Lord had bloomed that flower out to show me that he loved me. And I realised the Lord does this type of thing all the time. His love is just popping up in so many places and we don't notice it a lot of the time. And I looked at that flower and I just said, thank you Lord, you love me. And then I looked around 
and there were a million flowers looking at me and it was the greatest feeling ever just knowing the Lord loves me so much the Lord loves you so much too and he does stuff in your life all the time and I'd say 999,999 out of a million times we don't see it the Lord sure could get grumpy about the lack of recognition he gets but you know what he doesn't because he just loves you he just wants to do things for you whether you notice it or not he loves you and I would say number two don't make the things you do for other people for your children for your husband your wife for other family members don't make their recognition be a requirement for you to do things so love um, love I look at love as kind of like a coin with two sides one side of the coin is action you do a loving thing for someone else and there are a lot of churches in the world that are very strong on the action side of love we're gonna feed the poor that's the love of Christ we're gonna do this you know in our church we do some of this type of thing too we make meals for people we're strong in some areas but the other side of love is the side where we don't require things of people we treat them with love regardless of what they do that's kind of an ex it's it's a side where you don't have expectations but I that's I've changed my my definition we don't have requirements I don't require you to do a B C or D for you to earn my love I just love you even if you never do those things and the truth is that the people in your life are probably doing loving things for you some of them you don't notice and you're doing loving things for them some of them that they don't notice and there shouldn't be a requirement for them to notice or a requirement for them to say thank you or a requirement for any type of a thing and if you live like that you cut the ground under resentment it doesn't build up because you don't expect it you don't expect things from people so there's no grounds for resentment so here are my three basic instructions for today number one if you know you've got some resentment in your life let it go that's a today thing number two choose gratitude when someone else does when someone else does well imagine Cain saying to the Lord Lord I'm so gr grateful that you accepted his offering now help me next time to please you too now imagine Cain having that attitude grateful for his brother being accepted and then thinking now how can I do the right thing choose gratitude when someone else does well be grateful for them be grateful and then ask the Lord to help you and number three big heart towards others no requirements so you don't require them to be a certain way so that you can open up your heart to them just open up your heart to them just because that's what the Lord did to you so you do it to them they don't have to be a certain way act a certain way say certain things be thankful be appreciative acknowledge what you've done nothing just open up your heart because that's what being a Christian is so I thought I would share all of this today because we're about to embark on a whole course of prayer besides the fact that it's a solidly Christian way to be 
The fact is the Lord's calling us into new things and we're going to go into those things with power. We're going to go into those things and see a difference made in our city, in our nation, the apostolic message empowered. But there's no apostolic message if the people who are trying to push it are grumpy, resentful, closed hearts. And I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying that this is a sneaky type of a thing that gets into people and they don't know it's there. Resentment's like that, sneaky. So today, we're gonna hunt for the sneaky, clear it out, be in a place of power. We're gonna be before the throne of grace. We're gonna stand before the Lord with a clear conscience, know that he loves us, we love each other, we're walking with him, his hand is upon us, we're gonna be victorious because he's gonna help us to be victorious. So it's good, good, good all the way through. And, uh, but we've got to keep our hearts clean. Very, very important. And that's what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to invite the band to come back. I don't know if we've got music to play or something. But I think what's, what's really, really important for us to do right now is for us, whatever resentment there may be in your heart, which you, maybe you've identified something, it's, we're going to let it go right now this morning. We're going to walk out of this building this morning with clear hearts. And you know what? Maybe those people, maybe some situations are unfair. Maybe some situations aren't right. Well, that could very well be the truth. But we're going to walk out of here with power in Christ, regardless of how we're treated. You know what? The biggest injustice ever was that Christ was crucified for your sins. Now that is an injustice if there ever was one. But thank God he went to the cross with no resentment. Isn't he wonderful? We're going to do the same. We're going to be believers. And even if you're crucified, not literally, but you know, figuratively, in your life, in your marriage or family or with your in-laws or you know, at your workplace, if your boss crucifies you and it's just not fair, hey, you're a Christian. You're walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and whilst you stay like that, you'll be a person whose prayers are powerful and your happiness will not be tied to that situation because your joy will be the joy of the Lord, not the joy of, you know, when life is perfect. Life will never be perfect anyway. So, um, we know we put our, our life in the Lord's hands and we'll have what he has to give us, which is far better than anything else we can uh, conjure up ourselves. We'll pray in just a second. I just re remembered, um, my son, Xavier's been reading this book called Tortured for Christ. If you've never read that book, now that's an interesting book. I read it when I was a teenager and I pretty much forgot everything that was in it, but I've been reading it with him a few pages at night time before bed. And um, there's this one chapter where he's describing all his tortures. If anyone had an opportunity to be resentful, it was this brother, Richard Wormbrand. He was in communist Romania, he was a pastor, and they were just basically persecuting Christians. But there was a point where he got thrown into solitary confinement, and he was in there for years. Now people go mad in solitary confinement. When he came out, he was not mad. And they said, how did you survive the solitary confinement? And he said, I wasn't there. They said, what? He said, I was in the presence of the Lord. That entire time, those years that he was locked away in a concrete cell with no windows, no lights, dark, no humans to talk with, he was with the Lord. Now, how on earth that happens? 
you know, I don't know how it happened exactly, but I know one thing, that if he had gone into that cell with resentment, he wouldn't have gone mad. Right? But he didn't go in there with resentment, and he came out happy. <laughs> but look, I'm sure none of you are going through anything as bad as that guy. And if you want to cheer up your life, if, if don't compare your life with people who have got it better than you, why don't you read Tortured for Christ? Compare your life with him, and you'll feel a whole lot better about things. Right there. So look, we're going to pray. Um, let's have some, sing a song in just a second after we pray these prayers. Let's just play something, um, you know, thoughtful and nice. And um, the first prayer we're going to pray is going to be your private one. Because I don't know what resentment may have lingered in your heart, hidden kind of like a, you know, bugs in your house that are hidden and you, 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 you don't notice you've got, you know, a cockroach infested ceiling because you don't ever look in there or something like that. So there are things in your life that have been hiding and lurking and they're dirty and they're not nice and you've got to get them out. I don't know what they are and we're not going to pray out loud but right now we're going to pray. I'm going to give you a minute. This is your chance to let go of the resentment and if you can't let it go then your first prayer is going to say, Lord, help me to let it go. And then you're going to try. You're going to say, Lord, I want to let it go. And you're going to try with his help to do it. And at least mumble the words, if, even if you don't mean it. Even if you feel like you don't mean it, at least say the words. Because that's a beginning place. All right? So do that now. Take 30 seconds or a minute. And let go of the resentment that's there. We're now going to pray a, a wonderful, wonderful prayer. And um, I'll invite you to pray it unitedly with me. You can stay seated. You don't have to pray it with gusto. You can pray it quietly. But I think it'd be good to pray it out loud, even if it's a whisper. But we're going to pray to bless the people. You don't have to say their names. The Lord knows who they are. We're going to pray to bless them. Because sometimes it's resentment that holds the people into their struggles so they actually can't change. You want them to change, but they can't. Your resentment's locked them there. Well, we're going to pray to bless them now. And we're going to ask the Lord to strengthen them. Ask the Lord to make them happy. Ask the Lord to hear their prayers. Ask the Lord to bring them into a better place in Him. So we're going to pray the types of prayers of blessing that you want for you but we're going to pray it for them. All right? So join me. Lord, we pray for those who are in our lives. Lord, our neighbours, colleagues, friends, family. Lord, relatives and uh, people we've encountered in day-to-day -day life. And Lord, I ask you to bless them, each and every one of them. Thank you for them. I thank you for the good that we've received from all these people in various different ways. Lord, I thank you that... 
even with some of the struggles, Lord, so much good exists. I thank you, Lord, you've put that good in them. And in a sense, Lord, it's your blessing to us through them. And so I pray, Lord, grace to be released in all the people in our lives. Lord, your power to be at work in them, that they would know you more, that you'd give them a big heart, you'd give them a clear mind to see the truth of the word of God, that they would come to know you and love you more, that you'd hear their prayers, that you'd increase their faith, that, Lord, your grace would be upon them and on their children. Lord, bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. We're going to pray a third prayer, and um, we're going to take authority in Jesus' name over every evil and unclean spirit that's been authorised by a bad attitude. And we're going to command it to go in Jesus' name. We command it not to affect us, and not to affect anyone we've been praying about, and we're just going to command them to, to stop and to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. So this is a, this is a united prayer too. You can pray this one with a bit more oomph. <laughs> because, uh, you know, if you've got a nasty dog in your backyard, you're going to yell at it and run it off. Right? So we're going to get rid of the nasty dogs. So join me in prayer with a bit more oomph. So Lord, we thank you. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, you overcame every evil and interfering and unclean spirit on that day at Calvary. So in Jesus' name, we take authority over every unclean spirit that would come against us as individuals, against the body of Christ here, against this church, against anyone in our lives, and we command you to go in Jesus' name. Satan, we command you to let go. You have no right. It is unauthorized. We command you to leave in the name of Jesus Christ, and we declare the praises of Christ. We declare the blood of the Lord. We declare the name of Jesus Christ greater than every other name. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, your power be a shield around us. Your blood be a shield around us. I pray we would walk in the ways of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I would pray now that you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with the mind of the Lord and the heart of the Lord, but Lord, let us walk in the presence of the Lord day by day. I pray, Lord, if there have been any relationships in the body of Christ, in this church and in the wider body of Christ, Lord, that have struggled, Lord, heal those relationships today. Let there be reconciliation. Lord, if there has been any, any relationship between a believer and a non-believer that's out of order, Lord, let that be healed so that the unbeliever can come to Christ and not be withheld from knowing the Lord. Father, I ask that your power would be at work to restore. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 23 says, he restores my soul. Lord, I pray that you would restore the souls of your people, but Lord, restore the body of Christ as a collective soul. Lord, as, as a person, as, as the people of God, Lord, let your people be of one heart and one mind. So fill the church with your spirit afresh, we pray. And Lord, give us a fresh dose of wisdom and understanding, I pray, so that we might be the people of God. Amen. If any thought occurred to you that, you know, there's some relationship that's out of order or anything like that, and you had any thought about something you should do, uh, maybe you should do it. <laughs> if there's anyone that you've realised, I need to go and say sorry to them for something, um, you know, maybe go and put that matter right. That's called making amends. If there's any amends you need to make, you better go and do it, because that's a Christian thing to do as well. So God bless you. Let's have a, whatever type of a song we're going to get, <laughs> have a wonderful week.